Mike Parker continues his journey through the world of cartography, exploring the many different roles that maps play in our lives. Yesterday, Mike recalled the maps he grew up with and the tradition of over two centuries of map making at Ordnance Survey. Today, he's on the London streets in search of the perfect map to steer him through the urban jungle. Perhaps one of the hardest places to find your way around is a strange city because it only takes a couple of wrong turnings in a maze of streets and you're bewildered, dislocated. In other words, you're lost. A good city map needs to be a kind of cartoon. It hugely exaggerates the size of the streets so that they can be labelled and it picks out key landmarks too. Those factors are the hallmark of probably the best-known city map of all, the London A to Z. The creation of an extraordinary, indomitable woman by the name of Phyllis Pearsall. The story of how she started the A to Z has become the stuff of legend. And, like most legends, it's become embroidered over the years. The story goes that Phyllis came up with the idea one night in 1935, after getting lost and soaked in a downpour on the way to a party. First thing next morning, she sprang out of bed and set to walking and mapping every one of the capital's 23,000 streets task that took her nearly a year. She probably didn't walk every street in London, but she would have walked down the main streets in London because she had this idea of showing the, the house numbers. And to do that, she thought it would be better that she actually walked the streets and then she picked up the house numbers. John Frankel has been with geographers A to Z for nearly 50 years and is just about to retire as their managing director. There were other products around, other maps, but they were very much out of date. So she thought there was a, a, a niche in the market for a very up-to-date map. I mean, she comes across, having read some stuff about it, she comes across... I mean, she was tiny, wasn't she, physically? Yes, she was. Like a little sparrow sort of thing. But, but with this incredible verve and energy, which just seems to yes. be indomitable. Well, I think uh, whenever she walked in the building here, that, that everything would light up. Everyone would know she's, she, she was here, and she would spend a lot of time going around talking to people. I remember that uh, when she first started speaking to me, um, I joined in 1961. I was um, just coming up to 17 years old. I just happened to mention that I was interested in painting and the next day a, a box of paints arrived on my desk. She'd gone out and bought a, a set of oil paints for me to encourage me. That's what she was like. Phyllis Pearsall died in 1996, but her spirit still lives on at the geographer's A to Z offices, which, nowadays, are to be found well off the London A to Z in the leafy suburbs of Borough Green near Sevenoaks in Kent. There are pictures of Phyllis on the walls and a few of her own paintings too. She was a keen artist. She left drawing the maps, however, to her team of draftsmen and it was painstaking work. In the 1950s and earlier, everything was drawn by hand mm. um, and the material was basically a tracing paper and we would put Ordnance Survey OS sheets underneath and simply trace the roads, but we would do it in our style, which would be certain road widths to illustrate the type of road. The A to Z back then and even now is all about clarity. Mark McConnell is A to Z's chief draftsman. This is from the early 1950s. Okay, we're looking um, at East Manchester. That's right? correct, yes. Yeah. And uh, as you can see, this would be um, a draftsman's uh, drawing. That would be his sole res responsibility. And uh, 
this would take him probably about two months to do. Yeah. You'd have to be such a particular kind of character to do That's this right, job, wouldn't yeah. you? You'd have to be such a steady hand and such a sort of eye for detail. Precisely, yes, you do. When I first started 30 years ago, the first week I was here, I just wrote out the alphabet. The reason for that was that you had to get your letters perfect. It was about half an inch high. I was getting your lettering, yes. about your, your font, as it were. Yeah. That's right. So that was my first week, was just writing out the alphabet. The days of tracing paper and hand-drawn lettering are long gone, of course. Nowadays, the mapmakers at A to Z still use ordnance survey plans as their starting point, but those are provided, under licence, as digital data, and the draftsmen create their maps with the click of a mouse. And some of the most devoted users of those maps are London black cab drivers, particularly the trainee cabbies who buzz about the city on scooters like that one we just heard going past, and A to Z wedged open between the handlebars. They're retracing Phyllis Pearsall's steps as they learn the layout of every one of central London's 25,000 streets. This rigorous training is known as the knowledge, and it can take three years or more to complete. I've come to the West London Knowledge School in Kensal Green to get a few tips from the world experts on how to navigate a city. So you've got your A roads, which are your, your orange roads, and your B roads, which are like your lemon colour roads. And they stand out. Lemons. So oranges and lemons. So oranges and lemons will get you through the knowledge. Brian Nyer is a teacher at the West London Knowledge School. So Edgware Road, there's Edgware Road right at the top here of Cricklewood. There's an Edgware Road down here as well, sort of obviously nearer into town, Paddington Way. But if you look at a big line, you're following one road all the way down, you can come all the way down, all the way down, you get yourself all the way down to Forest Hill, just using an orange road. Yeah. And that's a long, long, long way to go, just using orange roads. So if you was asked any points up there to down here, you know you can get yourself on any of these, these roads down here and then bang, you're all the way down using just big, big roads. Yeah. And how many, when, you know, when you finish, or when you, when you reach the point where you pass, how many streets do you know and how many points of interest do you, do you, well, should you're, you know? You're, you're looking at about 25,000 streets um, that you'll know and um, you're looking on roughly, on average, about 800,000 points that your brain is gonna gonna remember. So you're asking your brain to keep in place nearly a million. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Brian's a working taxi driver, but Tom Smith still learning the knowledge in preparation for his final exams or appearances, as they're known. And I can't resist testing him on a route I picked straight off a monopoly board. Go on, Tom. Old Kent Road to Whitechapel Road. So, from there, I would. Comply. Actually, Old Kent Road. It takes a moment, but he's soon en route, whisking us off in his imagination to East London. Oh, Brick lays arms round about. I just go straight over Tower, ta- up Tower Bridge Road, forward into Tower Bridge, forward into Tower Bridge approach. As I follow Tom on the map, I can confirm that he's absolutely right. It's an extraordinary feat to somehow cram the contents of the entire A to Z into your brain and create this internal satellite. Adler Street, right into Whitechapel Road. Near there. And that's your quickest route. And it's a feat which has intrigued Dr Hugo Spears, a psychologist at University College London. Scientists have known for a while that a small part of the base of the brain, called the hippocampus and shaped apparently like a seahorse, is an important part of human navigation. 
But Hugo has been scanning cabbies' brains with functional magnetic resonance imaging to try and work out exactly what's happening as they negotiate the city's streets. I hailed a taxi, no, not from the old Kent Road to Whitechapel, just to University College London, to pick up Hugo and to talk to him about his work. You have to take London into one of these um, magnetic resonance imaging scanners. You have to somehow get the city of London and all its milutiae inside that, that device. And we did that by adapting a commercially available video game called The Getaway. And you can drive around this highly detailed simulation of London with it. If you, if you unlock the game at the end, you can actually just drive around and have a peaceful drive through the city. And that's what we simulated for our taxi drivers. And by scanning their brains while they were driving through the simulation, we were able to discover, for example, that the hippocampus is much more active um, in their brain, only at one moment in the entire journey. So it seems to be this crucial bit for navigating, only interested in one part of the entire journey, the beginning. It seems that when the taxi driver is first thinking about how to get you to your destination, there's a lot of activity in, in the hippocampus. Hugo's research built on some earlier work at UCL, which established that there's something very interesting going on in taxi drivers' brains. One part of their brain, this hippocampus, seems to be slightly larger. The actual the density of the, the what we call the grey matter in that in the posterior part, the back end of this structure, it seems to be a bit bigger in, in London taxi drivers. Um, whereas the front end, in fact, seems slightly smaller. So it's as if it's it's reorganised. some change in in the, the the structure of this this bit of the brain. Uh, and indeed, the group found that the longer the the taxi drivers have been working in London, the in fact the larger the uh, posterior end of the hippocampus became. Somebody else who I'm quite sure has a bigger hippocampus than the rest of us is Andrew Taylor. Back in the late 1980s, he moved from London to Manchester and couldn't find a decent city centre map of his new home. So he set out to create one. Despite working as a biomedical scientist and having no formal training as a cartographer, Andrew trudged the streets of Manchester for five years to create one of the best city maps I've ever seen. It's the Phyllis Pearsall story all over again. I join Andrew on a freezing January afternoon to walk the slush-covered streets of Manchester, map in hand. So hang on, let's have a look where we are. It's a big uh, square, Albert Square, where the big pedestrian area is. Albert Memorial's in the middle. Yeah. So that's there. And then you've got the two statues either side, the Gladstone statue, Hayward statue, and on the other side you've got Bright statue, so they're all marked on the map. Because so, that is the level of detail on this is incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I put a lot of the statues on because it uh, makes it much more interesting from a historical point of view. Andrew puts huge amounts of time and effort into his map-making. It's a real labour of love. So he must have been devastated when events overtook his first edition to put it out of date before it was even published. So I'd spent five years uh, drawing the first edition of the map. I'd... Um, arranged with all the um, retail outlets to, to sell it. And then uh, overnight, uh, they all closed down with the IRA bomb that went off oh, just at the same week as the map came out. And uh, immediately I had to start work on the second edition. So that must have been really difficult, because I mean, the, the city centre was just, just blitzed, wasn't it? It was almost unrecognisable. I mean, your, this detail that's the key feature of your map. It is, but in, in a way, looking back on it, it, it was quite nice uh, that it, it, it's um, more or less acted as um, 
uh, record of what it was like before the bomb. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. So, uh, do you know how many miles you have to walk to do this? I'd like to. I, I, I'd be interested to know. I did, I did try a pedometer once, but right. unfortunately it kept resetting every time I looked at it. But uh, I reckon <laughs> I'd do a fair few hundred miles. Uh, but I, I, I tend to do the walking round in the summer when I can. When, this time of year it tends to be closed season for me. Yeah. Because after about uh, half an hour, my hands tend to freeze off. It's a great image and an honourable tradition. The lone mapmaker roaming a maze of city streets to faithfully record their every twist and turn. The problem today, however, is that we are awash with mediocre but free city mapping, available from any hotel reception desk, via the web or on a smartphone. And as a result, we're in danger of losing our appreciation of really good urban cartography. I think, I think that's true and I think we've just seen an example of that. In the, in the visitor centre where people are being shown where places are on my map and then they're be off, being offered a, a free map from under the counter rather than buying one of mine. With an absolute tiny fraction of the detail on it. Exactly. But as long as they've seen the detail on your map on the counter. <coughs> yeah. And they, yeah, and uh, doesn't that frustrate you? Yes, it does. People are gladly spend two or three pounds on a cup of coffee, but when they go to a, a map, they'll either expect to be given a free one or they'll be expecting change from a pound. Yeah. And I don't think people, in general, value maps as much as they should do, because I think at the end of the day, uh, good maps uh, are sort of a cornerstone of our society. On the Map was presented by Mike Parker, and the series is produced in Wales by Jeremy Grange. And in tomorrow's programme, Mike hits the road to explore the world of motoring maps and asks what effect cheap road atlases and sat-navs are having on our understanding and appreciation of good mapping.